KYW Original Podcasts. Hi, Mark. Hey, Tom. The last time I talked to you here was in August of 2018. We made an episode called The Skeleton in the Museum. It was episode 37. We just put it out on the feed again so people could catch up on the story. It was about a remarkable woman that you reported on named Carol Orzel who died of an incredibly rare disease. That's right, Tom. The disease is called FOP. It's very invasive into the body. There's a bone structure actually attaches itself to inside the skin. Doctors studied it, and Dr. Kaplan at the University of Pennsylvania became her uh, primary physician in treating Carol and, and studying her. And she was a very willing patient, really wanted to, to, to find a way for uh, this disease to be properly identified and potentially a cure. So one of the things that we learned, as we said in the first episode, was that Carol wanted to have her body donated to the Mütter Museum. And there's a lot of unusual uh, medical oddities there, but also uh, used for, for study for students, and not just here in Philadelphia, but around the world. And Carol had seen another person with FOP at the museum displayed. His name is Harry Eastlick. He was from this area. She said to Dr. Kaplan, when I die, I want to go there. I want to be next to Harry so people can see the skeletal structure, study it, and perhaps find, you know, that cure, find that cause. Okay. A bunch of months later now, it was finally time for you to take a trip back to the Mutter Museum. What did you see? Well, I walked into the main doors of the museum, very large uh, wooden doors, and was greeted by uh, Anna Doty and uh, the museum people. Then Dr. Kaplan came out of an office, and then we walked through this uh, this beautiful foyer that uh, leading to various rooms. Walked up, uh, I, I think it was a series of steps, got into an exhibit room, and then in the middle of that exhibit room was a stairway wooden staircase walked right down lighting was low i mean it was it was appropriate for a museum of that uh, kind as i walked down the steps and anna Doty and dr kaplan started walking over to the the display case this 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 overwhelming feeling of wow here it is here it is it was like meeting somebody for the first time. I, I'd never met Carol. I never. Here I did get a chance to meet Carol. And that was very special. From KYW News Radio in Philadelphia, this is Scroll Down. I'm Tom Ricker. Today on the podcast, Carol was one of those folks who saw Harry's skeleton. And Carol said to me that when her time comes, that's the way she put it, when my time comes, she said, I would like to be at the Mutter Museum with Harry. And her wishes fulfilled. When you come here and you read about her, you're, you're absolutely getting something about the disease, of course, about FOP, but you're really getting Harry and Carol's story as well. One of my patients said to me, diseases are not just biological processes, they're human experiences. One can see how both Carol and Harry suffered a lifetime with this condition and how they retained their humanity 
and their humor, their desire to live despite these incredible afflictions. Carol Orzel is in her new home at the Mutter Museum. It was her wish to have her skeleton displayed next to Harry Eastlack so scientists and doctors could learn about the disease that killed her. Mark Abrams says just about everything on KYW News Radio. But for our purposes, he's the reporter who brought Carol's story to the podcast last year, and he followed up with the museum when her skeleton was ready to be permanently homed there. Mark, that couldn't have been an easy job to prepare Carol's body to become a skeletal exhibit. Yeah, that's right, Tom. I mean, you have to stop and think after a person dies, usually their body's prepared, their goes to a funeral director, and we all know about that. But I, I talked to Anna Doty. It was a, a year-long odyssey, almost exactly. The uh, curator of the Moody Museum. Dr. Kaplan emailed me and informed me that his patient, Carol, had passed away and that this was her uh, final wish. And, and this was something unique. This was an um, incredibly rare opportunity, but it definitely involved a lot of preparation, a lot of coordination. And because of her skeleton, this was a very del- this was going to be a very delicate procedure. The first thing that they had to do was to find a, a company that actually prepares bodies to become skeletal uh, exhibits. There was only one place in the entire country, if not the world, that I could think of that could handle uh, preparing uh, Carol, and that was Skulls Unlimited, and they're in Oklahoma. Define strange. You could consider anything we do here strange. Skulls Unlimited is a supplier of osteological material. In simple terms, we are a supplier of skulls and bones. Now, they, they usually do mostly animals, um, but they've done, uh, you know, they can do things like elephants and rhinoceros. They have the, they have the facilities, huge tanks. What we're doing at this point is mass tissue removal. We have to hand remove as much tissue from the bones as possible. And so I thought of any place they would do it. There's no specimens we haven't done, and there's no specimens we won't do. So I called them, um, explained the situation, kind of asking, begging. They were so nice. They were so enthusiastic. And I I told them this is going to be a challenge because not only is she completely fused, so you would not be able to disarticulate her and and process each bone separately. She was an entire unit. that, of course, she was a very, very, very delicate skeleton. Anna had conversation with them and, and, and said, look, we, this is what we want to do. This is for scientific research. Can you help us to prepare the skeleton? Uh, this company, Skulls Unlimited, agreed that they were going to do it. There's no specimens we won't do. So how do you get a person to Oklahoma, you know, well, simple, you know, you got to put it in a, in a casket and fly it on a jet. Uh, no, <laughs> they, they couldn't do that. And that's why I learned all these little things that kind of you have to know, like you cannot uh, have an, an unembalmed body on an airplane unless it's in a special case. These are things we had to learn, so we had to go get the case, and uh, the funeral home was wonderful. So they coordinated the transport. We got her to um, we got her to Skulls Unlimited, and then that began a seven month odyssey. She was at Skulls Unlimited for over seven months. That's how long it took because it was a very, very, very delicate procedure. You really have to be careful uh, because again, there was still remnants of FOP on on the body, and that they, they wanted to preserve that. Almost like just hand 
hand done because she was so um, so delicate. So that took seven months, and then the nerve wracking getting her very, very, very delicate skeleton back here. How are we going to do it? We ruled out a, a, another air, airline because she was even more delicate now. So uh, basically one of the gentlemen at Skulls Unlimited uh, hand couriered her, her up in a uh, cushy van, not even a truck, but a nice van with good hydraulics and, and um, brakes and things like that. So they had to navigate all the way from Oklahoma to Philadelphia. I'm sure we know what our pothole situation was like. I think all my gray hairs came about at this point. I had, I was just very, very worried about Carol. But we got her here in, you know, she was intact and everything. And it was just absolutely amazing. We're open 361 days a year, so all of our installations have to go have to happen at night. So we had another night at the museum with my staff, and we very carefully got her and Harry back in the case. And then finally we walked over to this very large glass case, and there was the two skeletons of Carol and Harry, and a, a, a booklet of explaining what was going on. I stood there in awe, actually, uh, that here, here is the uh, decision of this woman to be here and, and, and studied. Her, her wish is fulfilled. Yeah, let's get into that. Why did Carol want her skeleton in the Munner Museum? What was her goal by asking to be displayed there? Well, she knew that Harry Eastlick, who had this FOP as well and had died years earlier... She saw his skeleton displayed in the Mutter Museum. Harry Eastlack was the first gift to the uh, Mutter Museum from FOP, from the FOP community. And she knew that in order for uh, the researchers to have some comparisons, the male-female uh, structure... Carol and Harry have the same disease, and they have the same exact genetic mutation... But their other genes were different, and their life stories were different. By having Carol's skeleton there, it, I mean, they can see, they can compare the skeleton. How the bone forms and uh, where it is formed. We, we notice now uh, that more bone is in the back than in the front of the body. More bone is in the upper part of the body than the lower part of the body. You know, as I, I was standing uh, with Dr. Kaplan in, in the museum, he, he just said how special it was. Her mission at the end of her life was that she wanted to do something. She wanted her life and this, her, her suffering with this disease. Let's find a way that nobody else, nobody else has to go through what I went through. That goal is not just a Carol's pipe dream that scientists, including Dr. Kaplan have already learned things by, by studying Harry's skeleton. Yeah. Today, science, it's not just observation time. You're talking about genes, that the doctors who treated Harry Eastlick and Dr. Kaplan, who treated Carol, were able to do a lot of blood work and a lot of analysis there. My colleague Eileen Shore and I used to come to the Mutter Museum and study the uh, skeletal remains of Harry Eastlack and get clues. We would take those clues back to the laboratory uh, for an understanding of FOP. And in 2006, we discovered the gene that causes this rare condition. And from that, We've been able to uh, stimulate the pharmaceutical companies to develop uh, drugs for FOP. Thirteen companies, pharmaceutical companies. I mean, we're, we're, we're talking about a disease that, well, you beat something like this. Wow. Wow. So we've been talking about how Carol's donation is having an impact on researchers and 
what it's going to do for science and the scientific community. That's probably the most important part, you know, big picture. But there's also, there's a whole other side of the Carol and Harry exhibit too. It sounds like the Mutter Museum made telling Carol's story, the, the woman behind the disease, one of their main goals when they set this whole thing up. They did. It, it was not just about an exhibit of somebody who suffered with FOP. They uh, wanted to put uh, a face and a name and a life story to this skeletal uh, structure that was in that's in the case. They have a booklet there, uh, pictures of her as a child, as an adult. When you come here and you read about her, you're, you're absolutely getting something about the disease, of course, about FOP, but you're really getting Harry and Carol's story as well. And, that, and that's what you have here in this yes. in this book. You can flip through and see pictures of Harry and Carol, an idea about their lives and their personalities, and they're more than just their disease. Who she was and what she did. They want to expand that to a, to a much more greater online thing, and Dr. Kaplan is going to help uh, with that. Um, unfortunately, we, our, our collection is predominantly 19th century, and there's so many specimens that we don't know the personal stories of. So when we do have these wonderful narratives and stories and first-person accounts, we really want to highlight that. It's not just a medical condition. As one of my patients said to me, uh, diseases are not just biological processes, they're human experiences. And one can see how both Carol and Harry suffered a lifetime with this condition and how they retained their humanity and their humor, their desire to live despite these incredible um, afflictions. They were meticulous about ensuring that anybody who would come to see Carol would know this truly was a living human being who loved life, loved people, loved to be engaged, but at the same time knew that she had a limited amount of time and she was going to use it and she was going to try to touch people with her story. Uh, you know, she would go out to Penn and the first year medical students and Dr. Kaplan would roll her in and she'd tell her story and she'd get standing ovations from these students and, and she, she inspired Gosh, you can't, you can't imagine how many, you know, hundreds of students who may, some may, on, they're on the road to being doctors. You know what? I, I, I want to I find a cure for this, you know. And what a brave, brave person she was for doing this. But, you know, a, a, real, a, a great deal of credit to the museum for really understanding that it, it's not just a display as of a skeleton, but it's a, it's a complete story of someone who, who suffered but didn't let that suffering stop her from living. Carol had a special request about what was to be displayed with her. Oh my gosh. I, I was amazed uh, when, when I was at the uh, memorial service, uh, one of the uh, staff members told me at Ingalls house that she always loved jewelry and she had a collection. And of course with, with uh, Carol, it was very important 
that we had to include her, and I'm using quotes here, bling. She referred to it as her bling, and um, that's even in the deed of gifts and everything. She has, I believe, 167 pieces of jewelry, and I have her suitcase, and I have all the rest of the jewelry. Um, it's all being cataloged. So I had to go through all the jewelry, and I picked what I thought were some nice representative samples uh, that kind of, I hope, reflect her personality. Um, she loved animals, so we have some animal uh, jewelry in there. I think it really adds to the story of who she was and the kind of life she lived. She lived life with gusto, with zeal. When you come here and you read about her, you're, you're absolutely getting something about the disease, of course, about FOP, but you're really getting Harry and Carol's story as well. I'm really glad that when, when you were there, Dr. Kaplan was there with you, Dr. Frederick Kaplan, because he, he was Carol's personal physician for 35 years. Right. He was his her doctor for 35 years and he had to be feeling some kind of way when the three of you were standing there oh, looking he, he was he, he you know like i said i i was in awe when i when i first walked up to the to the case and and he and he just stood and then we he said well let's go back over here and he took me back to the back side of the case and he was showing me some of the the remnants of the fop that were on the skeleton and, and how important it was but you could tell this wasn't just a former patient. They established a, a, a very strong bond, a relationship. He knew what the end was going to be. Uh, he knew her desire to live on in this way, to provide some, some hope, some hope for somebody who might have FOP. The first time I, I saw the skeleton, I um, uh, had a feeling of almost reverence. Um, this is Carol's gift, and this is what she wanted. I knew her for 35 years, as I said, as a as her physician, as her FOP doctor. I remember the areas uh, that that were painful. She would come to visit me, and we would try various things to try to quell the pain and uh, quell the misery that she was experiencing. Um, and I could see those now. I saw some of them on an X-ray, but it's not the same thing. It's just not the same thing as is looking at the skeleton. This is not Carol, of course. This is just this is her skeleton, but this is a representation of who she was and what she wanted for the future. I mean, in a sense, both Harry and Carol uh, bypassed the grave for for an institution of higher learning. And Carol would be smiling at us right now and saying, "This is exactly what I wanted." I mean, I didn't want FOP. I didn't want to. I didn't want to suffer my life, but I, I wanted uh, that. That was my fate in life, and. Uh, here, I want my skeleton to be here so others can learn from it. And she said this to me in life, that, that so others wouldn't have to uh, endure what I endured during my lifetime as far as physical misery was concerned. And yet, despite that, I, I look at the skeleton, I reflect on the many good times we had. Carol was an unforgettable person. She had a life and a spirit that was uh, unsuppressible. She just lived her life to the fullest. It meant a lot to him that this legacy would live on, her legacy would live on, and that, that through this, hopefully someday, there will be a cure for FOP. Some people listening might want to come and see Carol's skeleton at some point. Well, sure. how, how does that work? Oh, listen, no, no problem. The museum is open uh, most days of the year. 10 o'clock in the morning, they're open until 5 you can go online uh, and, and, and look and, and make arrangements. There's an admission fee. 
and I and I certainly hope that that Anadoti is able to uh, get the rest of the online presentation that they want to get together because she said that we have just so much more uh, about Carol, and uh, we we want to make sure that her story is is fully told for those who can't get here to the museum. Mark, where can people follow you online and see what you're reporting on, what you're working on? Well, uh, best way is on Twitter, M Abrams KYW1060, and uh, KYWNewsRadio.com. Mark, thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. I appreciate it. Great pleasure, Tom. Thank you. And that's it for this week's show. Scroll Down is a KYW News Radio original podcast made right here in Philadelphia. You can follow us on Twitter at ScrollDownPod. I'm at T-Rick, T-E-E-R-I-C-K. If you want to do something nice for us, take a moment to review the show on iTunes. It'll help more people find the podcast. I'm Tom Rickard. Thanks for listening to Scroll Down. I'll talk to you again next time.